many of them which I have been in contact with, they are actually, even if they are 50, uh, they are able to increase their, their maximal oxygen uptake because they are not at their upper limit. The Triathlon Show 176. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I interview Bo Falk Hansen, who is a Danish cycling coach and a researcher who has a PhD in glycogen metabolism. And our topic for today is solving the top five challenges for the aging athlete or for masters athletes in general, both in terms of triathlon specifically, but more generally endurance athletes. Before we get into the episode, big thanks as always to our sponsors. First, we have Precision Hydration that make electrolyte products to help you get hydrated and stay hydrated. And this is all according to your individual sweat sodium content and your sweat rate you can find out more about that by taking their free online sweat test which is a simple quiz of 10 questions that you can answer in in a few minutes time without doing any special measurements uh, just qualitative information and that will give you a very good ballpark estimate for what type of electrolyte needs you have in your racing and training also make sure that you check out the blog that they have. They have plenty of great articles about hydration and its importance, but also other things outside of hydration, just general endurance sports information that is really, really good and high quality content. So go to precisionhydration.com, check them out. And if you want to buy any electrolyte products, you can get your first box for free with the promo code DATTRIATHLONSHOW, all one word, all caps. And thank you to Roka, which is the world's leading brand for wetsuits, triathlon apparel, and performance eyewear. And one of my favorite pieces of Roka equipment that I haven't talked that much about is uh, the tri-suit, the Gen 2 Elite uh, tri-suit. And there are several reasons for why I really like this tri-suit. Of course, it's very, very comfortable, and it looks really, really nice and fast. That's a given. Any tri-suit should, uh, should fit these criteria. But uh, the more important ones that really make this suit stand out against the competition, I would say, is its aerodynamic properties as well as its flexibility in the water due to the arms up technology. And that means that this suit really works together with the Roka wetsuit in give, maximizing your your flexibility and your range of motion during the swim portion. You're not restricted by your wetsuit nor by your tri suit. And in terms of aerodynamics, they've done tons of wind tunnel testing and uh, testing in general really invested heavily in R&D to make sure that uh, the aero panels on, on these suits are really, really top-notch. And I could feel it immediately the first time I went out for a ride with the suit that it's really made a difference in the speeds that I were putting out at the same sort of power. So if you're interested in the Gen 2 Elite tri-suit or any other products, wetsuits, sunglasses, goggles, etc. Go to roca.com. Remember that they now have shipping from Europe as well as the United States. So that is great news for us European customers. And that you can use the promo code TTS, all caps, to get 20% off your entire order. So without any further ado, let's get into the interview with Bo Falk Hansen. 
Today's guest on that triathlon show is uh, Bo Falkhansen from Denmark. Welcome to that triathlon show, Bo. Thank you very much. I have been looking forward to this for for a while now. It's great to have you, and and, and I was I was very pleased that uh, you're somebody who came recommended from uh, from a listener of of the podcast, which is always nice to hear. A professional uh, young cyclist that you coach, actually. So, yeah. so that was a nice nice way to get introduced. And uh, the topic that uh, that you sort of specialize in is one that is very relevant for a lot of listeners with uh, what to do with doing endurance sports and when you're aging and and how to tackle some challenges but before we dive into that topic can you just give a quick bio and introduction of yourself who you are and and what you do yeah i can do that Uh, i'm uh, almost 60 years old now and uh, i am a researcher uh, of profession i am employed at a pharmaceutical company and i have a PhD in uh, glycogen metabolism, you can say. I started off as a sort of a sports physiologist looking into the storage of glycogen in uh, in muscle with the uh, perspective of what does it mean to have a high glycogen level and how do we get this uh, high glycogen level and so on and so forth. And then eventually I went into uh, to the industry and worked with the diabetes, which I have done for quite a few years now, and, uh, and I have now turned into... <laughs> to, uh, you can say, uh, more looking at the aging, so uh, longevity and uh, the uh, impact of age on, on muscle size and uh, on your uh, aerobic capacity. Um, and at the same time, I'm a certified uh, trainer from uh, the Danish Sports Confederation. And uh, I have mostly, for, for many years, uh, trained young athletes, like uh, the, the one we discussed in the beginning. and. Um, uh, but lately, maybe due to my own age, but and uh, I have uh, started to work with uh, master athletes, and uh, I found out that there is uh, quite a difference training young people and uh, people which are not uh, super young anymore. And uh, I find actually that's uh, kind of interesting and, and and also challenging in in the sense that uh, it is a little bit different. I mean, young people are very, very enthusiastic and very eager and. Uh, it's more a problem of controlling them in order to make them train the right way. But but the the master athletes uh, they do have uh, some other challenges which I find uh, kind of interesting. So we'll get into that uh, very yep. soon. But first, when at what age do you think that you start to see like these changes? Of course, it's a gradual, continuous process. Yeah. But but when yeah. would you consider somebody in the category think... that you need to apply these sort of concepts? Yeah, for my own sake, I would say that uh, my my peak performance was uh, was a little late actually, like 43. I think uh, my age where I had the the highest U2 max. Um, uh, but I guess uh, it, the, the decline the decline starts already when you're 20 or 25 or something. But uh, but for most athletes who train, uh, they do not uh, feel uh, a, a setback before they are around 40. Maybe it depends on the uh, on the uh, discipline, of course. But uh, but in endurance athletes, uh, many athletes can compete to a very high level even at 40. And we have seen that with the tour and and other, but also in in, in women's uh, sports, there are quite a few which are over 40 years old. And I, think I would say, I think especially for amateur athletes that maybe start later in life, that can definitely yeah. be be true. Yeah, that is true. Okay, so let's let's get into. You have. Uh, five challenges that uh, that yeah. you talk about you 
you have you do yeah. this as a sort of a presentation for a lot of different clubs and, and federations, yeah, etc. So so we'll just follow your your lead here and uh, yeah. get into it. So what are the top five yeah. challenges that come with age? Yeah, I would say that uh, this is, uh, I mean, uh, part of uh, experience on own body, but also reading a lot of literature lately. I would say that there are five, you can obviously find more than five, but uh, I will have grouped them into five uh, challenges where I would say the three, the three of them are the big ones and then there's two minor ones which also play a role, but it's not as uh, heavily uh, investigated in the scientific literature. But the three big ones is the, the decline in, uh, in uh, VO2 max, and that is... Uh, like everybody knows that uh, this uh, decline with age. And then there's uh, what I call shrinking muscle, muscle wasting, which is uh, due to age. And then the final one is that uh, the metabolism in your body is changed. So so in contrast to young people, you have uh, different hormone levels, which uh, will have an impact on your metabolism of uh, carbohydrates and lipids and, and protein and so on. So, so that is the three big ones. And then the, the, the two minor ones is uh, sort of... Uh, uh, the de decreased flexibility uh, and balance and coordination that you 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 tend to be uh, more dizzy when you do uh, merry-go-rounds and you tend to be more difficult walking downstairs and, and stuff like that. And then the final one, I think, is one which uh, is quite important, but that is sort of the mental attitude towards getting older. And I think that has an impact on all the other four challenges, I would say. Probably in most sports, but most triathletes, they would be very happy because they are moving up an age group, so the competition typically gets a little bit easier. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so. I been, I'm, as I said, I'm almost 60, and I have been for a couple of years now looking forward to getting 60 because um, my ability to, to beat the guys who just uh, moved into the uh, men's 50 category is uh, non-existent. So, so I'm looking forward, actually, to getting 60 because then I can start competing again. Exactly. So, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, uh, so so let's let's tackle these challenges and dive into more more detail on them. Then, so uh, may, start wherever you want to start with, maybe the yeah, VO two max. Or... I, yeah, I think uh, we all know that VO two max is uh, very important for your athletic performance. It sort of set the ceiling, so that if you have a high VO two max, your ability to increase your anaerobic threshold is much higher than if you have a low VO two max. I mean, the, the VO two max is sort of the ceiling of your aerobic capacity. So it's uh, in all conditions, uh, in most endurance uh, sports, I mean, the aim is to have a, as high VO2 max as possible. And uh, and, and the, the issue here is then that, uh, well, that will start to decline quite early, uh, maybe 25 or something, it will start to decline. Um, and and uh, eventually it will get to a very low value and, uh, and it will get into uh, to what I call the death so there's a, sort of a certain lower limit of uh, view two max, uh, which is uh, dangerous for you. So, so uh, and, and most athletes will not uh, experience this. But, but for people who do not train, there's a sort of a limit around 20 uh, milliliters of oxygen per minute per kilo, uh, which is a, a place where you don't want to go because it is associated with an increased risk of, of death. And, and all other kinds of diseases. So, uh, but for most athletes, we are we are not in the, in that zone. Uh, but we still have a, a decrease in VO2 max, and um, 
and you can sort of if you look at a, a curve where you look at the decline it's uh, the steepness of the curve uh, the, the, the the rate of decline is then dependent on how you behave uh, and uh, if you stop exercising I mean there has been quite a number of longitudinal studies showing that even if you have a very very high VO2 max at the age of 25 and you stop uh, doing hard, hard training then you will actually eventually reach your lower limit or, or a sedentary line of decline in the view 2 max. It's not like that you, uh, by some uh, divine intervention, uh, has the ability to, to keep your view 2 max at a high level, even though that you have been among the best in the world. You will decline, and you will decline more rapidly if you stop <laughs> exercising. That is quite clear from the studies from... Uh, from the booth and others who have looked into this in, in a longitudinal studies where they have examined people at various ages and then looked how they and some of these studies were actually quite long they were for they looked at people for I don't know maybe 30 years and and it, it is the, the take home for this is that the, the moment you stop doing what you you did in the old days then the decline would be more rapid how, how, quick, how, quick, to, how quick is the decline on, on average or as a ballpark number if you stop exercising? Yeah, was, if you stop exercising, at least the, the studies by, by Booth, they, uh, they, they looked a little bit like that uh, uh, within uh, maybe five or ten years you would be down, down to the sedentary level. Uh, and, so, uh, uh, and, and with the sedentary it, level, do you, do you refer to that... Uh, 20 milliliters per minute per kilogram that you refer no, to? No, not necessarily. I mean, I, I mean, if you look at a, 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 a normal individual, you will start off uh, at 25 with a maximum uptake of maybe 45. And then eventually getting to, uh, to the age of 80, you will get into the sort of danger zone of, uh, of uh, 20 or 25 millimol, uh, milliliters. Uh, and, and, and those athletes that they looked at, they, uh, they had a very high um, maximal uptake uh, in the age of 50. They were around 60. And then if they stopped the exercise, they reached the lower line uh, within uh, yeah, 10 years or 20 years. Mm. So, uh, and, and whereas the other ones which kept on doing high-intensity exercise, they were still at 50 even though that they reached uh, uh, 70 years old. So there is a, quite an impact on how you behave. Uh, so your sort of uh, uh, lifestyle is uh, having a big impact on how steep this curve will be. I mean, the, the, the decline will be there no matter what you do. Uh, you cannot avoid it. But uh, what, what I'm saying is that, that if you do hard training, you will uh, keep your, your decline on the upper line, you can say. And, and that will, for, for as long as people have looked, be above the death zone. So you will, you will uh, still, and, and, and there's a very interesting study of a 101-year-old French guy who at the age of 101, he had a, a oxygen uptake of 30. And then he went on, uh, he wanted to, to make the world record in one hour uh, racing in the velodrome. So we went uh, training for two years, uh, 5,000 kilometers a year. And uh, then his uh, view to max increased 13%. So uh, even wow. at an age of 100, you can still do it. I mean, it depends. I mean, I, I look at it like that you have two curves. One is your upper curve and one is your lower curve. And if you train hard, you will always be at the upper curve. And at that, uh, at that point, you will not be able to increase your VO2 max because you are already at the top. But for most people, 
not being in the world elite, you are not at the top curve, so you will always be able to increase. And they have made quite a few studies on this, and, and, and that is also my experience from training uh, uh, master athletes, is that uh, many of them, which I have been in contact with, they are actually, even if they are 50, uh, they are able to increase their, their maximal oxygen uptake because they are not at their upper limit. Uh, so it is a very important take home that almost no matter what, you will always be able to increase your VO2 max. Of course, if you're already maxed out and you are at the upper curve, then uh, there's no improvement uh, possible for you, but, but then the, the job is to keep being at that upper <laughs> curve. Uh, so I think it is, it is very encouraging that uh, even though that you are maybe have three kids and you have worked a lot and you are 40 years old and uh, you think, well, my, my career is over, I will never be able to be a competitive athlete anymore. That is far from, from true. That is actually quite wrong because you will be able to increase your VO2 max if you are at a sort of a lower level than you can, can attain. So, uh, yeah, yeah, and I think that mo most amateur athletes, I've had this discussion with, with several athletes that I coach that it's uh, very few of us are actually at our own genetic potential and, and even uh, with exactly. these, these, exactly. these older athletes that they're, because simply most athletes haven't trained the way that, that you really no. maximize your, your VO2 no. max gains. So let's get into that I a bit. Completely agree. You, you mentioned intensity there. So, and, and I yeah. think that that's yeah. something that you will point out as being a key for for yeah. keeping yeah. that high, high VO2 max or increasing it even. And so what can you tell us about intensity and its role in this? Yeah, I mean, uh, most of us know that we have, uh, we know approximately our anaerobic threshold. So that is the sort of the difference between being able to perform for a longer time and, and only performing for a few minutes. And uh, at the, there have been several studies uh, where they have looked at the fairly well-trained people, uh, an oxygen uptake of 60 or so, and uh, they have divided them into different group. And one example is a study where they did uh, a very interesting study, actually, where they did uh, four groups, and um, uh, they divided them into uh, um, one training, which was called high-volume training. And uh, it was a lot of training, not very high intensity, but a lot of training. The other one was called threshold, where they, in average, did uh, four or, or, or four sessions of uh, threshold training every week, not as high volume as the first one, but fairly high volume and a lot of threshold training. <clears throat> and then they had one called HIT, where they did a lot of uh, high intensity training, but not too much volume. And then the last one was called uh, polarized training where they did approximately two hard trainings a week and the rest was uh, sort of uh, low intensity um, and then they looked at the, they did this for nine weeks and then they uh, looked at the uh, VO2 max and the uh, very interesting finding was that the polarized training they got a 12% increase in the VO2 max and the uh, HIT training get a small increase of 5% and the high volume training was more or less the same 2.6 uh, increase but the disappointing thing, especially for those did the threshold training, was that after nine weeks of threshold training, there was a 4% decrease in the VO2 max. And I think several studies have shown exactly the same, that if you are fairly trained uh, and you do uh, threshold training, uh, it's hard on you, 
and uh, but you will not increase your VO2 max because you're already fairly trained. So in order to do this, you need to include high intensity training in in uh, in, in your training. Is, so, is, is this uh, the, the study by uh, Stegel and Sperlis? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I, I just want to clarify one thing for the listeners because the threshold yeah. group here, yeah. I remember this study. It's. Uh, Yeah. It's not exactly the same as most listeners would consider threshold. So it's it's more like I guess tempo. So between the first and second okay. like lactate yeah. threshold. So yeah. so not like at yeah. your anaerobic threshold where you're working very hard and you can only hold that for uh, one hour if you go all out in a race, basically. Yeah. But uh, yeah. but it's it's slightly lower than that. So so it's sort of that mid zone, yeah. the gray zone type of training. Just to make that clear for the listeners, yeah. because I, exactly. I do remember this study. But, but I, Yeah, I totally agree that that the the, the, the word you use, gray, uh, I, I think that is an important word. And I always, when I'm coach, I'm saying try to avoid gray training because gray training, if you are fairly trained, will not give you anything in particular. So, so, uh, but 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 I guess you're right. If you do threshold training, like like very hard threshold training, you will be able to hold it for maybe 20 minutes or so. It will also have an effect. And uh, and then there are studies where they did like 16 minutes intervals compared to eight minutes and four minutes. And, and I will say that uh, there are many ways to roam and, and uh, it depends a little bit on the protocol and also on the subject. But if you are trained and you want to increase your VO2 max, I think there's no doubt that you need to include intervals which are uh, not too long, maybe four minutes or so, or even shorter in order to increase your VO2 max. Um, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a question of, intensity uh, that uh, if, if you uh, want to induce those genes uh, responsible for making all the changes which will increase your view to max you need a certain amount of intensity yeah uh, for people for people who are not trained I mean uh, like a, a sedentary person uh, there will be a large increase in view to max even at a lower intensity uh, because they are sort of a, at a lower level Yeah, yeah, and, and potentially even even at a lower level, they might be at a high percentage of their VO2 max because they they don't have that exactly. same metabolic exactly. uh, yeah, yeah. engine that yeah. that the more well-trained athletes yeah. has. Uh, so, so the key point yeah. here, I so, guess, what what is what is the practical application? Uh, is is it that that the athletes should be doing a good amount of low intensity training, but then include those uh, one or two sessions per week with with shorter high intensity intervals is that the, the key yeah. takeaway or or do you have anything else to add yeah 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 what i normally do with master athletes because master athletes are a little have a little longer sort of uh, uh, need for uh, recovery for restitution yeah recovery so uh, what i normally do instead of doing three hard weeks and one easy week i do two hard weeks and one easy week so and and in the hard weeks it would be like two sessions a week with the hard training and then in the recovery week it would be, it would be one mm. uh, so uh, in a three three year week period it would be five or six depending on on, on, on the period uh, hard sessions yeah that, that makes sense uh, and what's and i know that yeah. triathletes that that's not your your main uh, coaching field no that's true but but, but it's interesting because triathlon is, is difficult we talked a little bit about this before starting the interview about yeah. finding the balance yeah. Yeah. but theoretically <laughs> you and, and what a lot of people do actually in in the real world uh, even like at the elite level is two hard sessions per week per discipline so two hard swims yeah. two hard bikes two hard runs 
Uh, how do you see Ooh. that yeah. for masters athletes yeah. that still has that they have that need for recovery? Uh, and are all of those high intensity se- sessions via to yeah. max intervals, or are there some there's there's something else in in some of those sessions that is maybe yeah, a bit think- a little bit less taxing? Yeah, I think uh, I mean it's also a question of, of volume of high intensity training. So if you say uh, needed uh, uh, two swim session, two uh, bike session, and two uh, run session with high intensity, I mean depending on on uh, on your age and, and and your fitness, of course, there's a limit to how much you can do of hard training a week without uh, burying yourself in a hole. Uh, but and and I know for I mean I have been uh, running a, a, quite a bit and I know that the running is also tough on you in the sense that you get all these uh, hits from the uh, from from running and uh, swimming and and cycling is a more a little more easy on you especially if you're older and have a sort of a bad knees or whatever you have I mean it's a uh, it's uh, more forgiving to do biking and 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 and, and cycling. Uh, sorry, cycling and swimming, whereas running can be tough on you. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I would limit, if I were an, a master at triathlete, I would tend to go a little easy on the running uh, hard intervals because that would at least increase the risk of uh, injury. Um, because the uh, effect on the cardiovascular system, you can say there is a carryover effect. I mean, if you do training on a bike, you will also, uh, and, and you increase your heart's ability to pump out blood, You that will also carry over in, into the running. Yeah. Um, so, so so I would tend to uh, to, uh, to go more uh, more hard on the swimming and, 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 uh, and cycling compared to the running. Yeah, I, I agree. But of course, yeah. And, and I also agree what you said with, it depends on the volume. Like if you, if, yeah. if you don't, if you are somebody who or like you're an experienced athlete and you train quite a lot, then potentially you can do two hard sessions per discipline per week for those hard weeks and yeah. then recover yeah. with, with an easier week. But, but if you are somebody who yeah. trains a more limited number of sessions per week and, and hours per week, then it, it probably makes no sense to, to do that many hard sessions. Then you need to reduce the number of, of hard sessions to make sure that, that you really actually reach that sort of, of uh, VO2 level or power level or, or however you want to measure it uh, in, in those hard workouts to make them count. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I totally agree. So, so the next one then was, uh, you mentioned a shrinking muscle and uh, yeah, lo- losing muscle yeah. mass and, and lean, lean body mass. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that is a thing that uh, when you're getting over 40, you will discover that your, your muscles are sort of, uh, disappearing without you doing anything else than you normally did and uh, that has to to do with uh, a lot to do with hormones so if you are male your testosterone levels will go down and uh, for both uh, uh, sexes the uh, growth hormone levels will go down and and, and uh, that has an impact on your muscle size and uh, so uh, most endurance athletes they are afraid of uh, taking on weight because it's uh, it's a limiter you uh, uh, if you weigh too much, it will uh, inhibit your performance in, uh, in endurance, uh, maybe not in swimming, but at least in, in, in biking and in running. Uh, having a big torso will uh, <laughs> will not help you. Um, so uh, it, it has been a sort of a, a question whether to do strength training or not. But I think if you are a master athlete, 
there is uh, not a big risk that you will have big bulking muscles because there is this uh, natural muscle wasting which will happen anyway. So I think uh, it makes a lot more sense to do strength training uh, when you are above 40 than uh, when you are under. Um, and, uh, and, and the thing is that uh, just for the VU2 max where there is this death zone of, uh, of, of the number and an increased risk for, for bad things uh, happening to you, it's uh, exactly the same with muscle that uh, when you get older and your muscle are uh, shrinking, then at a certain point you will be unable to sustain yourself and you will be unable to do the daily uh, uh, things that you want to do. And uh, that has an impact on your uh, sort of survival or longevity. So there's a twofold reason for, for doing a strength training. And, uh, and there has been quite a few studies uh, on whether it actually enhances performance in uh, in endurance athletes or it, it doesn't, and I think the uh, the take home for a big uh, you probably know this uh, review by Einstein uh, where they looked at a lot of studies, and I think the take home is that there is a very good idea of doing strength training if you are an endurance athlete. It will not increase your view to max, but it will increase a lot of other stuff. Uh, which is good for you. Um, and since if you are a master athlete, you will lose muscle uh, mass uh, automatically, I mean, what you will do is just to counteract the loss of muscle mass. So you will not be a, a very big and heavy guy or a, a, a lady who, who is too heavy for your exercise. So I think it's, it is uh, very key to do strength training because it will uh, counteract uh, the uh, reverse uh, the the muscle loss and it will also help you as an endurance athlete yeah definitely I, and that review that you mentioned by by Renestat, i think we can include a link to that in the in the show notes yeah i've talked yeah, about this yeah, before on the, on the podcast and and one of the things that they said about the the muscle mass uh, is that like even for young athletes you, you don't endurance athletes they don't simply don't bulk up with strength training it's it's just exactly. not possible to do that because of the, the the endurance training that we do but also the uh the the general like calorie i guess equilibrium that we yeah. are in or even a deficit in many yeah. cases unfortunately but yeah. to actually bulk up and you also, need to have a caloric surplus and, and that's typically not the case yeah. for most endurance athletes and and, and, no, and also, no, also it, sorry go on yeah it depends yeah, it depends a little bit on, on how you do the strength training. I mean, uh, as you probably also know that if you do limit the amount of repetitions and you do uh, explosive movement and uh, high weight, I mean, the uh, the major part of what you will see is an increase in power and strength and, and, and not in, in muscle mass. Uh, so, so if you keep your repetitions to like uh, six or seven uh, and then do uh, heavy weights, uh, then the the major effect is uh, that your signal from the brain to the muscle is getting better. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, so you will get yeah you will get stronger, but you will not get bigger. Yeah. And I think for for, for the athletes that I train the uh, the master athletes, I I recommend a little higher number of, of repetitions. Since since then we'll get into the hypertrophy, and uh, we actually want that because we want to counteract the muscle loss. So. So as you get older, maybe move into like uh, eight or ten repetitions instead of uh, keeping it around the six. Um, but still, do it to uh, to uh, to a large degree with uh, with the explosive uh, movement because uh, that's really what you want. You want to train your brain 
to send signals to all of the muscle fibers at the same time. Mm. Yeah, that, that's uh, that, that's an interesting point about increasing yeah. the repetitions for master's athlete to yeah. to have some hypertrophy yeah. there. Uh, so, would you do yeah. that basically year round with that kind of strength training, yeah. or would you definitely, de- definitely year round? And I know it's uh, for my own sake. I, I just hate it. I think it's uh, really uh, <laughs> not fun to sit in these uh, rooms and and, and 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 using the machines or or the weights. But uh, I definitely uh, can say that uh, that uh, you should do it year round because the, the loss of muscle is <laughs> is uh, very rapid actually. I mean, it is an extreme case, but if you put uh, people my age into bed for 14 days, they will lose 25 percent of their muscle mass within 14 days. Oh, so oh, it wow. is, uh, and I, yeah, I know that it is a, a ra- extreme case lying completely still in a bed. But the the the, uh, the uh, <coughs> hormone uh, hormone levels that you have in the body do not favor uh, muscle growth. So it actually favors the opposite. So so there's this tendency to lose muscle all the time. So I think it's definitely worthwhile to do it year round. Mm. And what I personally do myself and recommend is that during the season where you would like to be on your bike or out running or swimming or whatever, uh, limit yourself to one session a week because that will. Uh, prevent the muscle loss. It will not uh, gain anything, but you will prevent if you do one session a week. And and then in the off season you might do two per week. Is that what? Yeah, you can? yeah, yeah. Even three per week. I mean, if it's uh, lousy weather, uh, then uh, do <laughs> do strength training instead, and then maybe also include some some sessions where you do a high number of repetitions in order to sort of uh, uh, do muscle endurance instead. Yeah. So so like. Uh, more than twenty sessions, more than twenty repetitions in a in a rapid uh, in a rapid fashion. Yeah, they're, they're not all uh, boring. Was, they're not all boring. Those strength sessions when you no, when no, when the weather no, is no, bad, you can you can be in in and catch up on podcasts, for example. That's what I, I usually do. Exactly, exactly. So, and a couple of, um, of follow up questions there. What kind of yeah. you mentioned explosive movements, but what exercises yeah. would you recommend that athletes do for yeah. some examples? So. Yeah, so what I what I tend to do is try to make it as simple as possible. And uh, I mean, it's, uh, six exercises uh, is uh, sort of the, the lower limit. So you should do something which uh, will, uh, where you pull with your arms and one where you push with your arms. So uh, pull uh, can be uh, in a machine or it could be a sitting row. Um, and uh, where you push with your arms is basically a bench press or push-ups, depending on your strength. And then uh, you should have two exercises for the legs. And uh, the best le- leg exercise is the squat, uh, because it trains a lot of other stuff as well. Um, but uh, if you have weak knees or you are new to strength training, I think the leg press machine, where you sort of sit in a chair and push away a plate, is better because it's much more safe on your knees and and uh, but but the squat is the uh, sort of golden uh, exercise for uh, for training your leg and your your, uh, your your whole core and so it is a very nice exercise and then for the stomach and uh, and, uh, and back uh, different uh, exercises and, and 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 for the stomach and uh, and uh, and uh, in the back it doesn't have to be uh, very heavy weights because uh, the main purpose of that is to to increase your sort of stability in your core. So I would say that the uh, the, the, the four exercises on the arms uh, and legs 
it should be with the heavy weights, whereas the uh, back and, and stomach, uh, I mean, you could do more repetitions and then maybe do this uh, yoga ball where you uh, have some uh, balance uh, included as well in order to sort of stabilize your body. Yeah. And uh, and, and fi- final question on strength training. For, for those yeah. leg and upper body exercises, when you uh, – how, how – many sets would you do of each exercise and what would the recovery be between sets yeah i would think that uh, obviously if you are new you should start with uh, maybe 12 15 repetitions uh, but you should as fast as possible get down to those uh, six repetitions or about that and then you should do uh, three to four sets um, and uh, maybe a couple of minutes be- between each yeah. Um, so and and, and uh, if you are in in getting down to a very heavy weight, you can barely do them for six repetitions. I think it's better for the sort of mental part of it to do one exercise at a time. Uh, so instead of doing, uh, for example, squats and then do something for the arms and back to the squats and then back to the arms, which will save you time. I think when you are in that phase where you do heavy heavy weights. It's uh, it's uh, as much as a physical thing. It's also a mental thing. So uh, it is uh, good to relax completely between the sets. So when you do those, uh, especially for the legs, which are very important for us as endurance athletes, I think it's uh, a good idea to just sit and rest between the sets so that you are mentally ready for the next set, which will, you know that will be very, very heavy, and you, <laughs> you need to be ready to do it. For the other exercises, I, I could easily see that you mix them up and do sort of a circuit training so, so that you save some time. But for the legs, I think it's a good idea to, uh, to, uh, to relax between sets. Yeah, I definitely agree because otherwise it's difficult to get the most out of yourself and, and uh, yeah, yeah, with yeah, the rec- recovery yeah. as well. Like I like to prescribe yeah. at least two minutes, uh, ideally three, but I know that a yeah. lot of people don't have the, the yeah. patience to, to wait for that long. So. It, so two is it, sort of the, the it minimum. Is. I mean, sitting, sitting there and waiting and looking at the watch is uh, annoying. But uh, I think for, for the legs, you should do it because then uh, then you will get the most out of the exercise. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and that's what's going to going back to that Renestad review. If when you get the most out of those uh, sort of higher weight, lower rep uh, exercises for the legs, that's specifically when you increase your yeah. exercise economy, which which will then translate to that improved yeah. performance. So so it's very important that exactly. to remember that end goal as well. It's uh, even though for the master's athlete it's it's as much about what we talked about, like the the muscle muscle mass and muscle strength, but but you also have that performance yeah. at the end of the day that you can take into account and yeah. consi- consider that recovery between sets as an important part of that performance puzzle. Yeah. So moving on then to the next uh, challenge, which is the changed metabolism. Uh, Let's talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. uh, This is normally uh, the the point which uh, rises the most discussion because there is, as you you know, a lot of uh, recommendations on what you should eat and what you shouldn't eat and uh, what is the best uh, for you in in terms of performance and and. (laughs) And uh, there's a lot of people uh, reading uh, magazines where there's a lot of stories about uh, this and that. So it, it is a very uh, uh, discussed area. Uh, but I think from a scientific point of view, um, I did my PhD, as I said, on glycogen uh, metabolism. And there's uh, for endurance athletes, there's a very strong correlation between the uh, pre 
muscle glycogen levels and the uh, time to exhaustion. So the more glycogen you have in your muscles before you start exercising, uh, the better in terms of uh, doing a, a, a long-term uh, uh, exercise. And uh, <clears throat> at, 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 that is at a, a, sort at of a high performance level as well. So, so not just the, the duration of it, yeah. but even if it's a, not not yeah. a maximum duration, but but yeah, a, holding a high output yeah. for a certain time. Yeah, yeah, you can. Uh, I mean, uh, and obviously, uh, triathlon is an uh, uh, is a discipline where. The uh, fat burning is uh, a big part of it. Uh, on, on different uh, disciplines, like uh, if you do a criterium on a road bike, it's only one hour. I mean, the majority of the energy will come from carbohydrate uh, burning, whereas in, in, in triathlon, I mean, a big part of the energy will come from fat burning. And, and then there has been this discussion of whether you could adapt your, uh, your body to burn fat and whether you could be uh, able to produce as much energy with uh, with fat burning as with uh, carbohydrate burning. And I think uh, Louise Burke from uh, Australia did a, a quite big study uh, a couple of years back where she took out, out, out this uh, question because there has been a lot of discussion on that. And uh, she took uh, well-trained athletes and put them on a, a protocol where they increased their VO2 max for, I don't know how many weeks it was, uh, Maybe the usual twelve, 12 or weeks or something. I think. Maybe, yeah, maybe. yeah, twelve weeks. Yeah, and, and then and, and and then she had them on different diets, and uh, one was with high carbohydrate and one was with low carbohydrate, and then there was this periodic side carbohydrate intake where there is a high intake of carbohydrates, but it's limited to certain periods. And 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 then she looked at the athletes after this increase in VO2 max, either on a treadmill at a uh, uh, at a certain uh, running speed or at a race. And, and I think the conclusion is quite clear that if you are on a low-carbohydrate diet, running at the same speed uh, as those on high-carbohydrate will uh, then uh, give you a higher oxygen consumption. So, it, it, so you're, it less, you're, you're, less, you're less economical, uh, which will limit your performance. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yes. And, and then if you do the opposite, you let them uh, race a uh, race, then what you saw was that the, the ones uh, uh, on high carbohydrate, they got a 190 seconds faster, uh, whereas the uh, low carbohydrate, they got 23 uh, seconds slower on this test race. Yeah. So I think uh, I think that, uh, and, and, and I talked with, uh, with uh, Louise on this, and, and she said, it, it's funny that I had to do all this study with all these subjects, in order to prove what's in the biochemistry books. Because it is known that uh, when you look at the ATP production in a muscle, ATP is the source of uh, muscle contraction. Uh, it is in all biochemistry books that if you burn uh, only carbohydrates compared to only fat, there's a higher ATP level per, per seconds with the carbohydrates. So you are able to produce more energy per, per seconds or per minute or whatever it is with carbohydrates. But the problem is, of course, that the carbohydrate storage in the muscle only will last for maybe one hour, one hour and 30 minutes if you uh, go at a very high intensity. So for a triathlete or even for a cyclist, it's also important to be able to, to burn fat because uh, that's a big part of it. So at a certain point, I mean, you can say what to, to, to give to give to, yeah. to give some context uh, for depending on your weight, of course. Yeah. But let's say that you're a 70 kilo yeah. male, then you might have like 400 grams of 
of glycogen. Uh, is that you probably know this much better yeah, than, yeah. than I do? But I think that four four hundred grams is roughly the ballpark number. Yes, uh, I mean the the upper limit in muscle in human muscle is uh, like four percent, uh, but that requires that you uh, you are in uh, in a situation where you are completely loaded. Uh, my PhD, where, where we did human studies, where we uh, infused glucose and uh, and insulin for eight hours, and, uh, and 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 that will reach a limit of approximately four grams of glycogen per hundred grams of muscle, so four percent. But I don't think that you will reach this uh, this high value in a, in a daily setting. Uh, there, you are more in around uh, three grams if you're. Uh, if you're super compensated, if you do, have done a, a glycogen loading procedure, um, so, and, uh, and depending on how much you have, that will give you a, a figure of maybe 400 grams, maybe 600 grams, depending on how big you are. Um, yeah. And uh, so, so go on. Sorry to to jump in there. Yeah. Keep keep going with yeah, your yeah, work. Yeah, yeah. I think, and and then uh, it depends then on the uh, uh, particular uh, exercise that you do, because if you do Cycling, most of what you will use is what you have in your legs. Uh, I guess if you do swimming, you will also uh, sort of use uh, a lot of other glycogen stores, like in your arms. Um, and uh, and running also engages a little more muscles than, than cycling, depending on the discipline. Uh, but uh, it, it is impossible to store. I mean, if you go at your... Um, anaerobic threshold, you will use all your glycogen stores within maybe an hour or maybe 1.5 hour, uh, unless you take in uh, glucose. And uh, most of us do this by gels or glucose uh, in, in, in drinking, um, and that will spare the use of glycogen, which is in the muscle. So that's the idea of, of taking in uh, uh, gels or, uh, or carbohydrate-containing uh, drinks that is to spare the amount of glycogen that you have in the muscle. Because when the glycogen in the muscle runs out, you will, uh, you will face this uh, called the bunking or the uh, the wall or whatever you call it, a situation where there's uh, a risk that your blood glucose will go low because now uh, there's no glycogen in the muscle and all the, the glucose will then go into the muscle and your blood glucose will go low because the liver cannot produce any more glucose because it already uh, sent out all the glucose it has. And that situation is not very pleasant. Most of us have tried it, and <laughs> it's not uh, very nice. Uh, so, so the idea uh, is that you should uh, pass the, uh, the goal line in the exact moment where you have used all your glycogen in, in your muscle. And <laughs> because then uh, if, you, if you have glycogen left, you could have gone a little faster, and if you have uh, no glycogen, if you're 10 kilometers before the goal, uh, you run out, then you have to slow down. Um, so uh, it is, a, of course, a very difficult thing, thing to uh, time this uh, very precisely. So the most of us try to, uh, to eat a little more glucose than we need during the exercise in order to be as sure as possible that we will not run out. Um, and uh, then this whole... Uh, issue of using glycogen uh, is uh, quite interesting because the use of glycogen uh, can either be with oxygen or without oxygen. And uh, when you use oxygen, then you get a lot of uh, energy out of each uh, super molecule. 
But if you do it without a, uh, uh, oxygen, then you don't get as much energy out of each sugar molecule. And that means if you go too hard, and that is above your uh, anaerobic threshold, then you will use those glycogen stores more rapidly. So it, you can't say that it is uneconomical to, uh, to go above your uh, anaerobic threshold because you will spend more glycogen uh, at a faster rate than uh, doing it under. And that is really the game, uh, I guess, uh, also in triathlon to, uh, to be right at that uh, border and uh, hopefully a little bit below because then uh, you will spare your glycogen as much as possible. And for, for the ability to do this is the ability to deliver oxygen to the muscle. And that we have discussed with the VO2 max is a big part of that, that uh, in order to, to have as big oxygen delivery as possible, you need to train your pump, uh, the, the heart, and also your, your uh, blood supply to the muscles. So it is... A, yeah, yeah. The Yeah, it is. So, sorry, just just wanted to to, to mention yeah. something about the, the triathlon yeah. distances there. That uh, that uh, that of course, for if you're doing an Ironman, yeah. you're not going to try to go even near your anaerobic no, threshold. No, so no. so you're probably going to be be pretty safe there. But then you have the duration instead. Like you're yeah. still going to be very limited by your energy stores and and need to uh, to fuel uh, accordingly during yeah. the race. Yeah. Uh, whereas if you're doing a sprint distance that lasts one hour if you're yeah. fast or, yeah. or fast, faster than one hour if you're really fast, yeah. then uh, then that means that you're going to be at at or even above your anaerobic exactly. threshold for a lot of the yeah. time. So, so then you you might not have the need to fuel a lot because you have enough fuel on board, but yeah. you're still going to empty a lot of your stores by the time that you yeah. cross that, that finish line. Yes, yes. And then, and it depends a little bit on the on the discipline because in in, uh, in mountain biking, which I have uh, coached a lot, uh, the uh, the energy output is uh, very fluctuating. So uh, some instances you use a lot of energy because you go uphill, and then in the next moment you go downhill, and uh, so you don't use that much energy. So it's very um, uh, variable the energy uh, consumption. Whereas in the, I guess in the, when you do the uh, triathlon, I mean you you try to pace yourself at the the pace that you uh, you know you can handle for for that long time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, the, the, there is a, a situation if you if you do the the Olympic distance and you do it in a draft legal uh, format, then you have the, that sort of criterion style racing on the bike with a lot of surges yeah. way above the anaerobic threshold as well, and the and the race duration yeah. is. Is two hours or or so. So yeah. that that is a situation when when you have a little bit of both. You have a quite a long duration, but also you have yeah. quite a lot of very high intensity in there. So so that's definitely yeah. a case where you again yeah. need to consider that that fueling aspect. Yeah, so, but, I guess yeah, I guess you're right because uh, I have this as I mentioned uh, this uh, triathlete in in the club, and uh, I I did a, a testing session of a lot of the athletes, and many mountain bikers do have a very big anaerobic capacity because they train a lot in the uh, sort of uh, uphill going very fast. Uh, and I was expecting this uh, triathlete to, to have a fairly low anaerobic uh, capacity because my presumption of the triathletes was that they always did at a certain pace. But to, much to my surprise, he was very, very, very good at the anaerobic uh, output. In fact, one of the best I have ever tested. So uh, that was uh, a little bit of a surprise to me. So I think maybe uh, also in in, uh, in in triathlon, even though that you would think that it is a very steady output, I mean there must be some power surges uh, when you want to caught up with the other guys or 
I don't know how it is, but there must be because he he was really good at anaerobic uh, work actually. Yeah, in, in draft legal triathlon, there are certain lists, and yeah. and I talked with yeah. people. Uh, we a related episode to this is uh, the one with Sebastian Weber that I did in episode yeah. one hundred seventy one, yeah. which we can link to as well. We talked a lot about the yeah. lactate building rate VLA max, and uh, and yeah. for the kind of professional type triathletes that are focusing on the draft legal format, they their uh, sort of profile in terms of anaerobic and and aerobic power profiles they. Uh, they are similar to the spring classics riders, so so that they need to have endurance, but also the ability to to make yeah. to break, uh, do a breakaway or or catch up with a breakaway yeah. and, and sprint at yeah. the end of the yeah. of the race. So so they need to have a little bit yeah. of both. So that's quite different from the Ironman and half Ironman athletes that just need to they, they can basically focus on on reducing that anaerobic capacity and focus yeah. everything on the yeah. on the aerobic capacity. Yeah. But but so how yeah, but it, one one more point by the way that I yeah. just remembered with you mentioning Louis Burke first they have uh, now I think finished the uh, the study with the the, the follow up to the study that you mentioned the supernova study but I don't think they published the results yet but but definitely follow Louis no. on on Twitter and and you can uh, yeah. you can check in on updates there uh, the the second thing yeah. is I really loved what you said uh, that she had mentioned that it's funny that she had to do all all that work to prove what in a biochemistry yeah. book because that's something that I, i've actually yeah. mentioned myself uh, quite a few times that, that it's really it's yeah. it, nothing magical happens we have chemical equations going on at the cellular yeah. level and, and it's exactly. fairly straightforward what, what's happening so yeah so, so it's uh yeah you can't really fool the body in, in that way <laughs> no no and uh, i see i say the atp production i mean you cannot decide yourself uh, which mechanism will produce the ATP in your body, which you use for muscle contraction. It is a question of intensity and your, uh, you can say, training condition. So if you are very well trained, uh, it will take uh, more to get into this anaerobic uh, state and therefore you can save your your glycogen stores. But but it is a, a question of intensity. So And for every person, there is a sort of a limit where you start to use this uh, uh, anaerobic uh, and, and and when you can do a, a fat oxidation as an energy source or not yeah it, it depends entirely on your on your training condition yeah and uh, but unfortunately you cannot decide yourself or uh, <laughs> so to switch to fat oxidation at a certain time you cannot do that but it depends on your intensity yeah exactly but but if if you follow the training that you talked about for the vo2 max if you increase your vo2 max yeah. then you're also going to increase yeah. your your fat oxidation at sub sub maximal levels so uh, the training exactly. is exactly. Uh, is yeah. so important there but but how does the yeah. the nutrition uh, the, and the change metabolism let's tie it now into the aging athlete uh, because yeah. i'm sure you exactly. have a point yeah. <laughs> a point there with yeah. uh, with how the aging athletes should approach this exactly I mean, for, for the young kids, I mean, the, the message is, is is quite clear. You just need to eat enough carbohydrate, carbohydrate in order to be able to uh, to perform. Uh, but as you get older, as I mentioned, <clears throat> sorry, um, the uh, hormones change in the body. And uh, there's this uh, uh, tendency that your muscle will turn into fat. And uh, many, many uh, people above 50 have... Uh, have have seen this that suddenly there's uh, appearing some uh, some flaps on the on the sides and uh, you haven't really done anything to do this it's, it's just happened and uh, and that is due to the hormones and uh, and uh, what 
what what tends to happen is that if you eat something with a high glycemic index or carbohydrates in general, uh, your body will produce insulin. And uh, insulin is a very efficient way to stop fat oxidation. The instance you have a, just a small amount of insulin in your body, your your uh, your muscle will stop burning fat. Um, and um, that is then uh, if you uh, eat a lot of carbohydrates, you will tend to have a high insulin level all day long. And for, for people uh, about 50, that is not good because then they will have no uh, fat oxidation at all uh, because they just keep the insulin up. Therefore, there has been all this discussion of uh, paleo diet and uh, fasting and uh, whatever have you in order to, to, to decrease the insulin level to uh, let the body do fat oxidations in order to get rid of some of this uh, body fat. Um, so so uh, that uh, then <coughs> turns into a sort of a, a, di uh, a divergent interest. So your optimal uh, performance as an athlete will require that you eat carbohydrates and uh, the optimal diet for your lifestyle uh, is to <laughs> eat a little carbohydrate. Um, so if you go on a paleo diet or, or ketone diet or whatever, you, uh, you will control your insulin levels and you will probably also lose some weight. But uh, then if you want to beat uh, the, uh, the guy in the club in the next uh, race, uh, you probably will not succeed because now you start off <laughs> on the starting line with low glycogen levels and you're not able to, uh, to uh, do this race or whatever it is as fast as you could. So therefore, I think also Luisa has uh, embarked on this and tried to um, do your carbohydrate intake uh, at a certain uh, point in time. Uh, so what she called prioritized uh, carbohydrate intake. And I think that makes a lot of sense because then you will allow your body to have periods where you have uh, low carbohydrates and, and low insulin and then you can burn fat. And then at other points you will fill up the store so you're ready to, uh, to, uh, to compete. So for example, if you're going to, you know that you're going to train hard uh, Tuesday afternoon it is a good idea to start the day before eating uh, carbohydrates so that you, when you start off this training, uh, say 5 o'clock in the evening, uh, Tuesday, you know that your glycogen levels are not too low. Because if you try to do a VMAX uh, training uh, <laughs> with the low glycogen stores, you will not have the quality in the training. Mm. So so it, it is important to try to, uh, to uh, uh, make sure that it, on competition and at those hard trainings that your glycogen levels are not too low. The other trainings, if you're going for a long steady ride for four hours with your bodies, uh, I mean, it, it's perfectly okay to have a fairly low glycogen level. That doesn't, it, it, it just will be a little hard maybe in the end, but it's okay. Um, but I think if you want to have the quality out of those hard trainings, you need to, uh, to, be, to be ready to do it. And that means the ATP production machinery should be ready to uh, uh, to produce a lot of ATP uh, at a short time, and that requires that you have glycogen in the muscle. So, so let's say we have an athlete that maybe they have their hard training days on, for example, a Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. This is a triathlete, and yeah. they might do yeah. uh, do as we said, like one uh, one hard VO two max session in the swim yeah. bike, and then the run perhaps even a bit less than VO2 max, but still a hard session. So, so you yeah. say that maybe the, the evening before they start to introduce a little bit more carbohydrate and yeah. leading yeah. up to the, yeah. the workout. Yeah. So then you still yes. have plenty of time to 
be on a more low carbohydrate diet in between. What about immediately yes. after workouts? Would you still try to replenish yeah, the, glycogen there? Yeah, or? The, the, it depends, depends a little bit on the situation. If you are in a not too important period uh, of your training, I mean, it's okay to uh, to limit the amount of carbohydrate you take in, but if it is a, a compact and a heavy training period, I would definitely fill up the stores just after, because, uh, I mean, there's this risk that you actually uh, will slow down recovery uh, if you do not fill up the, the glycogen stores. Yeah, um, and, and things like immune function and, as well increase the risk. Yeah, of, yeah, exactly, of exactly. Yeah, so, so it depends. If you are, in, let's say, you are in a three-week period where you do very hard training, I would uh, definitely fill up the stores after exercise, especially mm -hmm. the hard exercise, because the glycogen levels would be low, and I think it's important to uh, to prevent that you get sick, because we all know that getting sick is uh, a killer for for the training, uh, and uh, so so that is an important issue. Yes. And and how low would you go in those periods when you have lower carbohydrate intake? What what do you have any recommendations for that? <sighs> I don't know. I, I think if you are on a training camp or if you are in a heavy, heavy training week, we are talking about maybe 8 to 10 grams per kilo per day uh, of carbohydrate. Uh, but if you are in a, in a period where it's not too important for you to be uh, able to perform, you can go as low as maybe 2 or 3 grams uh, or even lower. Depends on who you are. And, and, and if you want to lose weight, for example, you can go a couple of uh, weeks with, uh, with, uh, with, with quite low glycogen intake. Two or three grams per, per kilogram body weight, not, yeah. not lean body mass, yeah. but actually kilograms. Okay, so that's yeah. For, yeah. for a 75 kilogram athlete, that, that would be like 150 to 225. So 150 yes. would, would be what is quite often cited as being like sort of fairly low, uh, I guess. So, yeah. but yeah, yeah. That, that's, yeah, that's great to give, get, get an idea. And also, yeah. Also, when you are getting older, it's uh, it's important to uh, have a little focus on protein intake. I mean, uh, normally uh, we get enough protein with a with a <coughs> normal diet, but uh, there is evidence to suggest that when you get older, the uh, stimulation of uh, muscle protein synthesis is a little less with the protein intake than it is in, in young people. So uh, you need. For a young person, you may only need uh, like 15 to 20 grams, whereas uh, a protein to stimulate the protein synthesis. But whereas you are a little bit older, it will may maybe take 30 grams of protein in order to uh, to uh, increase the protein synthesis. And also, it's and, it's and do you refer, to do you refer specifically to to after workouts, or do you refer to like with every meal you would want to try to to get that that I amount of protein? The evidence. The evidence seems to suggest it's much better to do uh, the protein intake um, uh, four out. times a day. Yeah, it, yeah, it's spread out and and thirty grams per meal. Uh, so that will be uh, either three eggs or a can of uh, tuna or something like that in that uh, magnitude uh, at each meal. Uh, and if you don't like to eat eggs and or or, or tuna in the morning, maybe uh, some chocolate or whatever. It doesn't matter that much. Uh, it, it just has to be quality protein. And then when I said quality protein, people ask me, what is quality protein? And I said, the easy thing is to say, <laughs> it needs to be uh, dairy uh, or meat, uh, fish or chicken or whatever. Then you are home safe. Uh, but if you are a vegetarian or a vegan even, uh, then you have to think a little more because you may need to make sure that all the amino acids that you want are in what you eat. 
uh, and that uh, will require that you look a little bit on the uh, on the list of ingredients in in what you eat. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But as, as long as long as you eat meat or drink milk or whatever, then uh, you don't have to think. You just have to uh, look at the number uh, the uh, number of grams that you intake. Yeah, and there for, for in terms of grams of protein per day per kilogram yeah. body weight. Uh, do you yeah. have like a ballpark number, like two grams per kilo yeah. body weight that you'd like to yes. recommend? Or? Yeah, exactly. I, I would say that for, for people, uh, master athletes, we are getting uh, near two grams per kilo per, per day than uh, than one. Uh, so so uh, it, it is um, 30 grams uh, each meal or maybe 1.5 grams per kilo per, per, per day, depending on how big you are. I mean, obviously mm -hmm. a big uh, 120 kilo person would require more. Yeah. And, and anything um, else? Uh, anything else on the on the on the diet side uh, that we we haven't mentioned? So to to, to yeah, summarize, yeah, I guess one, for one, for the masters yeah, athletes, yeah, yeah. can can you do a quick quick summary yeah. of it? Yeah, there's one thing which I uh, find uh, is if you want to train your uh, fat oxidation, and and I guess in triathlon that will be uh, uh, interesting to do. I mean, there are many protocols to do this, uh, to uh, skip uh, breakfast and wait, uh, wait all day long and then go for a long ride in the afternoon. But I think there's uh, this one protocol also by Louise uh, Burke, uh, where you do this hard training in the afternoon, uh, say four or five, five minutes or something like that, which will really empty your glycogen stores. And then after that training, you just eat something with no carbohydrates. So chicken, cheese, uh, whatever have you, ham. And then in the next morning, you go for a one to two hour steady ride uh, because then you will start off uh, that training uh, with low glycogen stores and you will go fat burning right from the beginning of the training. And uh, I find, uh, personally, I find that more easy than going for a very long uh, steady ride and then wait for the glycogen stores to get depleted. Um, so it, it is a, a, a protocol which has shown uh, to be... Uh, uh, if you do this, uh, it, it actually increases the economy of, of your exercise. Mm. And yeah, that's, a way a, that's it, very interesting. Uh, yeah, I think it's an easy, and uh, we can link to that paper as well, but I think it's, uh, I, I think it's an easy way to train your fat oxidation uh, in, in the sense that it's, uh, you only have, uh, most of the fasting is, uh, is done during the nighttime because you're sleeping. And then uh, uh, the only thing you have to do is to skip, skip breakfast then go out for, for this ride in the morning, uh, maybe commuting to work or whatever have you, and then uh, then uh, you can eat breakfast uh, after the, that train. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, interesting. So please yeah. please send me that that paper because I'm not I'm not yeah. familiar yes. with with that one. So so that would be no. No. good. What, yeah. the, the one the, the other another option that that exists that I uh, used for myself and, and athletes is uh, to have a hard session in the morning and uh, and eat quite low carb after that session and and for yeah. the rest of the for lunch and and then you have a, an easy yeah. steady aerobic session in the afternoon where you haven't really refueled with a lot of carbs in between that hard session that sort of empties the glycogen yeah. stores so so that's another yeah. spin on on the same uh, same idea i guess yeah. but you, but you don't have the, the overnight fat overnight fast in between so i can see that perhaps that one that you described is more effective yeah, and I think uh, the good thing is that uh, that uh, this period uh, with uh, where you don't uh, eat uh, so much is uh, basically while you're sleeping. So it's uh, I think it's a uh, at least from a mental point of view it's easier. But but basically it's the same kind of protocol uh, yep. that you do hard training to empty glycogen stores and then you wait uh, a while and then you do uh, some steady ride. 
So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, so to wrap up, uh, we for for aging athletes, it's good to yeah. per- periodize your carbohydrate intake so that you are fueled for the high end sessions and, of course, for the races. But yeah. then in between, you you yeah. try to limit to maybe two to three grams of carbohydrate per kilogram body weight per day. You want to yeah. be diligent with your protein intake. 1.5 to 2 grams per kilogram per day and spread it out across the day so 20 yeah. 30 grams per meal yeah. and uh w- what else did we have did i miss something something there no, was it, that a good summary no no i think it's a good summary uh there is instead of eating one big steak in the evening it's it's important to to take in protein during the day um that is that is i think it's a very common mistake that people people yeah, don't spread yeah. it out a lot yeah yeah let, yeah. Let's let's uh, go through the last two challenges and, yeah. uh, and yes. try to do it a bit uh, quickly. But they, these are the small ones, yeah. not the big ones. So we've now yeah. covered covered no, the big no. ones. We can do we can cover this fairly easy because I mean for for the uh, for the balance, coordination, flexibility, and all that. We all know that uh, getting older, you have more difficulties to reach your toes, and uh, you don't like to go in the merry-go-rounds and all that stuff. But it has been shown quite efficiently that all this, just like with the VO2 max uh, and, and, the, and the strength, it is trainable. So the major reason for us being uh, worse uh, doing balance and all that stuff is that we stop doing what we did when we were younger. So uh, we don't go in a merry-go-round anymore. And that's why we, we are not we are too bad at it. And, and we don't run up and down uh, slippery uh, rocks or whatever anymore. And that's why we are bad at it. So uh, I know for a fact, because I have tried to, <laughs> the, the past couple of months, to be able to stand on a yoga ball. And in the beginning, I could not do it at all, but now I can actually stand on it. So it is trainable. Uh, and, and, and science also showed this, that uh, it is because we don't do it. And it has to do with this. Uh, yeah, I, I think this slogan, uh, use it or lose it, is very uh, spot on. Uh, and can you talk about uh, why, why we need those things as endurance athletes? Yes, I can. Uh, uh, it's... Uh, First of all, it uh, will risk the limit, uh, or the, it will limit the uh, amount of injuries you get. If your range of movement in your in your joints are bigger, then the the risk of uh, uh, of doing an overstretching or do something which will uh, hurt your muscle or your joints is much less. And also, in in the case of a fall, uh, like uh, your your while you're running, your foot hits something. Then your speed and uh, and your reflexes uh, will uh, will be able to cover that because you are you you know what to do when you are about to fall you know how to stick out your foot very rapidly and if you don't train that you will lose it uh, and 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 for biking also balance is very important uh, cornering and uh, when you are hit on the handlebar by somebody then it's the balance is a key here uh, so uh, but it's not like there's a lot of studies showing this. Uh, so it's more like uh, an, an, an experience as a coach. I have seen that uh, that people who take care of their body in the sense that they do flexibility, they uh, do fare much uh, nicer in corners and especially in mountain biking. It's, it's quite important to be uh, both flexible but also have a good balance. And I think for, for your general life and your ability to uh, to have a long and healthy life, there, the evidence uh, clearly show that your uh, both your quality of life and your risk of uh, falling, uh, breaking your hip or whatever, is much less if you do uh, 
flexibility and uh, coordination and balance and, and stuff like that. And and how often and uh, how long should you practice this? And uh, what kind of exercises would you recommend? Do you yeah, have some resource that people can go to perhaps online and find some good uh, good good exercises or workout routines? Yeah, I was saying. I think that uh, one thing which is very useful is this uh, yoga ball. Uh, it's fairly cheap to buy, and uh, I mean, there's a lot of things you can do on this uh, with respect to balance and coordination, and, and uh, it is a very easy tool to use, uh, and it's not very expensive. And uh, there's a lot of sites where you can find exercises for both flexibility and also for balance on these balls. Uh, so I would definitely re- recommend a, a, a yoga ball or fitness ball or whatever. Um, <clears throat> in in terms of uh, uh, other stuff, I think it's also a, a, a part of uh, what we can get into with the, with the last point that this uh, uh, you should continue to uh, challenge yourself. Uh, I mean, you should not say, well, I'm getting 50 and now I, I do not want to uh, climb in, in trees anymore or, or go on this uh, obstacles course because I'm too old for that. On the contrary, you should uh, say, well, this is a challenge. I'm super bad at, uh, at uh, doing balance on a yoga ball. So now I challenge myself. I will do this uh, within three months or whatever. Because it is a, a question of, uh, of of doing it, just like uh, this uh, Nike slogan, just do it because we will get better at, at, at all those things if we do them. But it is clear that if we don't do them, then we will lose the ability. So so all kinds of stuff that uh, will challenge your, your coordination and stuff like playing soccer, uh, climbing trees or go mountain biking or whatever, which takes you out of your comfort zone, will actually help you. Uh, maintain those skills. Yeah, perfect. So you don't even have to necessarily put too much thought into, uh, I guess, structured training, but but just no, no, no. challenging yourself. No, no, yeah. uh, do, do do stuff which is uh, challenging. Uh, like uh, <clears throat> try to balance on a small. Uh, uh, if there's a small uh, division between a park and uh, and the road uh, that you can balance on, then try to balance on that. Or if you uh, walk on the sidewalk, try to go on the, uh, uh, the the line there without falling, or try to stand on one leg while you're brushing your teeth uh, with closed eyes, or whatever have you. I mean, it's it's fairly simple. Uh, it's just to do things that you know you are not too good at. Yeah, that's that's great. <laughs> Those are really great tips. Yeah. What yeah. about flexibility? Do you, do you need to have like structured stretching sessions for that? For for the flexibility, there's a uh, I think, especially when you do biking, uh, there's this uh, tendency that your your back of your thigh will be short, and uh, that will give you back uh, pain. So I think there's a good reason for doing uh, stretches of uh, of the legs uh, quite often, actually. And I mean, you can you can actually do this every day if you want. There's no risk of doing it. The thing is that you you need to do it in a proper way, and in a, in a proper way is that it should not hurt. It's, it's not good to do it uh, if it hurts. Uh, you should do it. You should feel the stretch. And uh, it, it, it should be, uh, most people describe that it's pleasant afterwards. So so it should be sort of a stretch uh, which you can feel, but it should not hurt. And then you should Stand, do it. Static uh, or you know, it, static, it, definitely static. Definitely static. Uh, and I think uh, you can do it uh, 30 seconds, uh, three times. 
that's normally what uh, what is recommended. And uh, I think you can do it on all all days. And basically, I I mean, do it while you watch uh, stuff on the Netflix because then you're just sitting there anyway. Uh, uh, and I think uh, you can do it every day. You can do it uh, also if you are in a meeting uh, or whatever you do. Uh, just do uh, some uh, passive stretching of your of your legs, and then that is fairly easy to do. Hmm. And I guess if you are triathlete, you also need to stretch your uh, your upper part, your upper body, uh, equally uh, much because uh, you use your breast muscle and your back muscle uh, to a large degree. Yeah, and and I think mobility before swimming and running is is quite important for triathletes as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah. to yeah. not yeah. And, 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 and not when, necessarily when, enhance flexibility, but it acutely yeah. enhances the mobilization of of your range of flexibility compared to like it sort of brings you closer to that ceiling of flexibility that you have compared to what you would exactly. do without the mobilization. I mean, if, yeah, and if you look at world-class uh, athletes uh, who swims in the uh, in, in, in the world championship, you know, so you can see what they do. I mean, they're swinging their arms like crazy and they are doing a, a sort of a flying movements with their arms and, and stuff like that. And I think that's for, as a warm-up, that is the, the way to do it, uh, to, to do this sort of uh, more active stretching than, yeah. uh, than, uh, than the ones I described yeah. right now. Okay, so the final challenge is the mental barrier. Yeah, we have touched a little bit on it. Uh, I think the, the difference here is uh, the, the, your own attitude. I mean, if your attitude is, well, I'm getting 50 and there's stuff which I shouldn't do because I'm getting older and I have to take care of myself, that is the complete wrong uh, attitude. Your attitude should instead be, uh, there's a lot of possibilities for me still. I need to do uh, these hard intervals and I do to need to lift those heavy weights because I, read, I want to, to beat the other guys in, in the club. And I mean, it's, it's very important that you, you don't let yourself fall into this. Uh, I had to protect myself mode uh, or I, I'm getting too old for this uh, because that is the direct route to getting old too fast. So what you need to do is to uh, to have the attitude. Well, I need to train hard just when uh, as I was younger because that will keep me on the forefront of uh, my physical ability. And uh, so you 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 need to keep up those things that you did when you were twenty. So hard intervals, heavy weights, a lot of uh, jumping around and uh, making uh, all kinds of stupid stuff. Um, that will keep you young. Uh, on the contrary, if you have this sort of sedentary attitude, well, this is uh, too dangerous for me, then you will get old. So I think it's a, it's a mental thing, thing that uh, you should uh, say, well, I, I'm, not, I'm not going uh, to be weaker than the other guys. I will uh, train hard and I will do my, my part. Of course, you have to take care of yourself because your bones or your, your joints are a little more fragile and, and stuff like that. But, but uh, uh, I think the take-home, the overall take-home is uh, use it or lose it. So, so you you should continue to train hard, even though that you are about fifty uh, or forty or whatever it is. Uh, it is important to to keep the pressure on because if you let go of the pressure, then you will uh, decline much more rapidly. Yeah, perfect, perfect summary. As long as you don't keep yeah. up with the the partying and the drinking of your twenties. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That is true. That is true. <laughs> so let's wrap up here with uh, yep. the rapid fire questions. So answer these in just 
one sentence. Yep. And uh, the first one yep. is, what's your favorite book, blog, or resource related to endurance sports? Yeah, I think I personally is very uh, fond of uh, the uh, training peaks. Uh, I mean, I use that for, for coaching the the athletes, but uh, they also have quite a few nice blogs and uh, on various issues, and both of, as a coach, but also as your uh, an athlete. Yeah, uh, good one. What's a personal yeah. habit that's helped you achieve success? I think uh, I, I think maybe it's uh, the one that we discussed before with the, with this attitude that I have always uh, felt that uh, I was twenty years old inside, so I have kept on doing a lot of fun stuff and uh, training young kids uh, definitely helped me do that. And finally, what do you wish you had known or done differently at some point in your career? Mm, yeah, well, actually, I would. Uh, I, I first started uh, being a coach at, uh, late in life, or not late, but, but uh, I would uh, actually have liked to work with, uh, with, uh, with uh, young, young kids and, and stuff when I was even younger. So um, a longer uh, career as a coach, I would I would have liked. Okay. Th thank you so much, Boy. It was a real yep. pleasure to have you on yep. the podcast. Yes, definitely. Thank you. Bye. All right. Hope that you enjoyed that episode. And if you are a master's athlete, especially, I hope that you found it really, really useful and uh, enlightening, perhaps in terms of what sort of strategies and changes you might want to do to to counterbalance those uh, those changes that that occur with age so remember again the top five challenges and how to tackle them are a declining vo2 max aerobic capacity and one of the best ways to tackle that is with maintaining high intensity workouts in your training schedule the second one is loss of strength and muscle mass and that is tackled with the right kind of strength training uh, so we talked about explosive strength training high weight low rep but also some form of hypertrophy training so a little bit more moderate weight and and moderate reps and i'll actually i'll take this opportunity to promote the strength training plan that i have on scientifictriathlon.com that you can buy it's uh, very affordable it's uh, 39 euros so if you're not quite sure based on this episode yet how to structure your own strength training that plan will definitely fit the bill for uh, for masters athletes as well as non-masters athletes for endurance athletes in general it is designed for that purpose the third point was nutrition and having a periodized carbohydrate intake to make sure that you have glycogen on board for key training and racing but also so that you lower that insulin response in in day-to-day -day life outside of those key workouts uh, so so that would mean as an example perhaps shooting for two to three grams of carbohydrate per kilogram body weight per day and those three vo2 max declining vo2 max declining muscle mass and strength and uh, the changed metabolism those are the three main ones but then we also had the challenge of losing flexibility balance and coordination and there the whole point was to just keep working on it because it's trainable and keep challenging yourself and finally we had the right attitude towards aging it is possible to stay fast or even get faster like we heard examples of of uh, older people that have increased vo2 max for example even in their 50s or or even later on in uh, when you're 101 years old uh, so uh, if if that's you if you're lucky enough to to be that old you, there's still hope for for improved fitness 
So have the right mental attitude. That was the, the final piece of advice from Boo. So uh, thank you, Boo. It was really, really useful and I really enjoyed the chat. We have plenty of links for you as well in the show notes that you can find on thattriathlonshow.com, uh, all the papers that we talked about and also some related episodes. I have done a few, I have done one episode on actually on Masters Athletes, so this exact same topic, but that was way, way back in episode 20, but it's still as relevant and a lot of the, uh, the papers that Bull cited here, I used as well for that episode. So we are very much on the same page. And that one was called Masters Athletes, how to minimize the performance decline for aging triathletes. Then we had episode 102, which was an interview with Karen Smyers called Mastering Triathlon as a Masters Athlete. And uh, that those were the two main episodes. Oh, yes, in terms of strength training, if you want to dig deeper into that, definitely check out episode 81, the triathletes strength training formula, where I dig deep into the research on that, including, for example, the review by Rönnestad et al. that we talked about. You'll find all of that in the show notes. Again, thattriathlonshow.com. And uh, as a little teaser for what's coming up, I'm not exactly sure uh, if it will be the next episode or in a couple of weeks' time, but in the very near future, I have a fantastic interview for you with Dr. Steven Seiler, who is the researcher who, I guess, popularized the concept of polarized training. He did not invent it by any means, as I'm sure he will say, but he has done plenty of uh, research in that area and uh, he has brought it to the masses, so to say, and he's done great other work as well interval training for example he's done plenty of work in that field so make sure that you subscribe that you if you aren't already subscribed to the podcast so that you get all the episodes when they are released because we have new episodes every monday and thursday so uh, it's easy to miss if you aren't subscribed so click that subscribe button in whatever app you use to listen to the podcast and uh, if you have friends colleagues family members that might be interested please make sure that you spread the word about it. It uh, really helps. And uh, growing the podcast is a benefit for, for all of us because it means that I can keep keep focusing on it, keep making it a priority and to be consistent with putting out the content here and spending the time with interviews, interviews research and, uh, and all of the things that go into creating a, a podcast. Big thanks finally to our sponsors, Aroka, that you can find on aroka.com. You can take 20% off your entire order with the promo code TTS, all caps. And to Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. You can take your free online sweat test to get an individualized hydration strategy for you. And you can get your first box for free with the promo code thattriathlonshow, all one word, all caps. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.